We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of this land, the Bunurong people, and pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. We recognise and respect their continuing connections to climate, culture and country. Welcome to the Open Book Podcast, books, events and conversations with the team at Greater Dandenong Libraries. I'm Ruandi and in this episode, Meena and April discuss the novel 100 Days by Alice Pung. We have an author reading from the Melbourne Writers Festival author Else Fitzgerald from her book, Everything Feels Like the End of the World. Next up, We have two book reviews, Stolen Focus and Untamed, from library staff Jackie and Helen. And lastly, April gives some interesting low-cost costume ideas for parents for book week. Hope you enjoy! everyone. I am April and I am here today with Mina. Hi, Mina. Hi, April. So today we are going to do a book chat on the book 100 Days by Alice Pung. Mina, do you want to tell us a little bit about the author? Yeah, sure. Alice Pung is the author of many books. She's written Unpolished Gem, Her Father's Daughter, Lorinda, and most recently the book we're featuring on today's episode, 100 Days. She also edited Growing Up Asian in Australia. She wrote on John Marsden for the Writers on Writers series and published a book of selected writings called Close to Home. She was born in Footscray just a month after her parents arrived in Australia. Her father, a survivor of Pol Pot's Khmer Rouge regime, named her for Alice of Alice in Wonderland because she, he said after the killing fields, Australia was like a wonderland. Alice is a qualified lawyer and conducts legal research into minimum wages and pay equity. She's also artist in residence at Melbourne University's Janet Clark Hall. Mm. Well, I'm just going to read the blurb on the back of the book just to give everyone a bit of insight to what this book is about. So the blurb reads, 100 days. It's no time at all, she tells me, but she's not the one waiting. In a heady whirlwind of independence, lust and defiance, 16-year-old Karuna falls pregnant. Not on purpose, but not entirely by accident either. Incensed, Karuna's mother, already overprotective, confines her to their 14th-storey housing commission flat to keep her safe from the outside world and make sure she can't get into any more trouble. Stuck inside for endless hours, Karuna battles her mother and herself for a sense of power in her own life, as new life forms and grows within her. As the due date draws closer, the question of who will get to raise the baby, who will call it mum, festers between them. 
100 Days is a fractured fairy tale exploring the fault lines between love and control. At times tense and claustrophobic, it is nevertheless brimming with humour, warmth and character. It is a magnificent new work from one of Australia's most celebrated writers. Thanks, April. Yeah, we have a list of characters that are in the book and we have Karuna, Tweezer, Mrs. Osman, Ray, Grandma and Grandpa. We're going to be chatting about some of them today. Yeah, Tweezer is Karuna's best friend at uh, her new high school and Mrs. Osman um, works with her grandmother in the salon. And as you'll hear, Ray is the young man that she has a brief encounter with and becomes pregnant. So it's set in the 80s, and as we've heard from the blurb, the story is about Karuna, a 16-year-old who gets pregnant, uh, and her mother is Chinese-Filipino and her father is Australian, and they have recently divorced. Karuna blames her mother for her father leaving and wishes she could live with him instead. Karuna and her mother, Grandma, as we know her in the book, live in the commission flats, and Grandma becomes increasingly controlling of Karuna once she finds out about the pregnancy. Karuna is locked in the flat, sometimes in an unbearable heat, while Grandma works two jobs to support them. Grandma tries to convince Karuna that she should be the baby's mother when it is born to allow Karuna to get on with her life unencumbered. The book is written in Karuna's voice to her unborn child, which creates a real intimacy with the reader as you feel like Karuna Karuna is talking to you. The style of the narration influences how much we feel Karuna's outrage as well and why our perception of her mother is so closely aligned to Karuna's. We feel what she feels. This also makes the book very claustrophobic at times. So the author is exploring what love and abuse means to different people and how culture, class and life experience might impact people's perception of these things. Alice Pung has spoken about wanting to explore a controlling relationship within a parent-child relationship. As she said that although there is widespread recognition that control in a romantic relationship is not okay, parents have complete control of their children. It's interesting to think of the parent-child relationship and the way parents exercise control. Yeah, I agree. Um, There is some controversy about what is considered discipline and parenting and what would be considered controlling behaviour. And I think opinions would vary depending on a person's age, background and own personal childhood or personal parenting experience. Mm. Parenting can be a topic that people like to voice their opinions on. And this is heavily influenced by personal personal experience. So the relationship between Karuna and her mother and the mother's approach to parenting, I feel would cause varying reactions from a reader. Mm. In this book, Karuna's mother demonstrates behaviour that is borderline abusive. For example, locking Karuna inside a house on a boiling hot day. Mm. Does the fact that this behaviour was in a way a result of her own trauma and fears make that behaviour easier to understand? Do we think that Karuna would have lasting effects from the controlling behaviour that could affect her own parenting skills down track? What do you think, Mina? Uh, I think there are always lasting effects of that kind of behaviour, but as we've seen in the book, uh, Karuna is determined to do things 
parents differently. I think grandma's expression of love is to make sure her daughter does things the right way so she has the best chance in life. That's her drive. She feels like Karuna's options are really limited, basically to find a decent husband, and she doesn't believe she can do that with a baby or a child in tow. I don't think the way grandma treats Karuna is right or justifiable, but I can understand it. You can see that it comes from concern and love and not from malice, and it's not really about neglect either. Yeah, I do agree. I do think that grandma did everything she did from a place of love. However, in a way, she was also heartbroken that the direction she saw for Karuna's life was being destroyed by this choice for Karuna to have her child. Karuna's goals in life were and are vastly different to what grandma hopes for Karuna. And this heavily influenced the heightened controlling behaviour that we see in the book once Karuna is pregnant. Grandma viewed Karuna's pregnancy or Karuna's pregnancy as an act by a rebellious, ungrateful teen. And she is determined to steer Karuna in the right direction again. I also think that grandma suffered from a lot of anxiety about the world, which considering the experiences she's had is expected, but in turn, this anxiety also influenced her parenting decisions and that controlling behaviour. Yeah, I think that Karuna deals with that with real grace under pressure. She manages to find ways around those limits that are inflicted upon her and she shows resourcefulness and manages to get out of the flat and finds her way to a doctor to get information about her pregnancy. And at one point, I think she manages to um, get child's protective, protective services to come around, even though she ends up... Karuna also shows great forgiveness, which the book kind of manipulates us into doing as well in the nicest possible way. And we shift our thinking as Karuna does. Yeah, that is true. Um, I have to say my opinion of grandma was quite negative until the last couple of chapters where you really see grandma beginning to listen to Karuna. And through listening, she begins to develop a relationship with her daughter that is based on respect and trust, which is lovely to see. Yeah, I know. It was wonderful when that when that part happened in the book and you can finally start forgiving grandma and um and like you said there's a lot of it with like all of it was from Karuna's perspective we didn't really get to understand what grandma was feeling through half of it we just no only through Karuna's eyes yeah 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 so it's almost like you start to understand through feeling what she is as well and Were her decisions right? Perhaps not, but you start to understand them. Karina's relationship with her father also changes heaps throughout the course of the book. When Karina is little, her father can do no wrong. He gives her everything that her mother denies her and is that fun parent. Um, Karina really wants to fit in at school and with her friends and her mother embarrasses her. So she feels like her dad sort of helps her to fit in. Yeah, and I I love how Alice Pung flips the reader's opinion of grandma and grandpa. As you said in the beginning, Karina's dad provides the support that Karina wanted. For example, letting her celebrate her eighth birthday, I think, with her friends and enjoy her party. Whereas Karina's mother during that party just sulks, does not want to join in the celebrations. 
But when Karina's father deserts them and ends up moving away and finding a new partner, we realise that although Karina's mother was difficult, she never left Karina or gave up on her. And by the end of the book, we see that Karuna and her father are falling further and further apart as he keeps distancing himself from Karuna and her life. When he finds out she's pregnant, he provides limited support and understanding and is no longer really interested in being a father because he sees things as becoming difficult and embarrassing for him. Yeah. By the end of the book, Karina no longer sees her father the same way. She begins to see and understand all the issues her mum had with her dad. And I feel in turn, this brings Karuna and her mum. So in conclusion, just to wrap things up, that's just our thoughts on the book there about some of the characters. I must say that I found this book difficult to read at times. It, it made me quite frustrated in sections I think that relationship between Karuna and her mother, and because it's written from Karuna's perspective, I really felt what she felt. And Mm. that emotional connection, I feel, just demonstrates how well Alice Pung wrote these characters. As a reader, you connect with the characters in the story, which made 100 Days an engaging read. So overall, I enjoyed reading this book. Mm -hmm. and ending gives readers that satisfied feeling that you want where everything has been wrapped up and you can see that Karuna and her mother are developing a good relationship and enjoying the new life together with Karuna's baby. So what are your last thoughts, Mina? Uh, I didn't feel frustrated reading the book. I felt like there's a sense that as you read, everything is going to work out okay. And I found that very reassuring. So I was happy to go along for the ride. I think for that, that reason, I'd recommend it to adults and young adults. It, and like you were saying, it wraps up really well. Um, you know, all the characters sort of have a a meaningful arc and you can kind of put down the book and, and not really worry about them anymore, which is always satisfying. So I yeah recommend that to to anybody really probably over the age of twelve or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. April, have you been reading anything else? Um, I just started recently a thriller. It's really good so far. It's called The Housemaid by Freda McFadden, and I think you can borrow the audio book um, through BorrowBox. Okay, great. Of course, it's a thriller. You love your thrillers, April. I love my thrillers. <laughs> yeah. Podcasts before. In between my book chats, I just do another thriller. Yeah, <laughs> what about you, right. What are you um, reading? I'm reading The Netanyahu by Joshua Cohen. Yeah. And I'm, I've just read recently for our online book club, The House of Stone by Navuyo Schumer which was really wonderful. I really loved that book. Uh, It was was set in Zimbabwe and it is about a young man who infiltrates a family trying to um, to take their son's place when their son goes missing. And so it kind of becomes a bit like a talented Mr. Ripley sort of a story. It was fantastic. It it kind of had a thrilling element to it as well and also quite comedic. I reckon you would. It was really great. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So thanks, Mina. That sounds really interesting. 
in conclusion, we just want to let you know that you can borrow 100 Days by Alice Pung with your library membership at the Great Dan Non-Libraries. We hope you enjoy the book as much as we did. And thank you for joining us, Mina. Oh, thanks, April. Well, goodbye, everyone. And thank you for listening to our book chat with the Open Book Podcast. kind of imagining what a future where population was really strictly controlled by these genetic grids. So within one genetic family, you can only have a certain number of members of that family alive at any one time. So you kind of have this allocation and if somebody wants to have a child, then you you have to make space for the child, which is kind of a horrifying uh, idea. But sort of imagining this world what it would look like if we became really militant about birth rates Um, and so the family and the story are preparing for the upcoming birth of a child Um, and the grandmother in the story nanny is the one who's decided that she'll give up her place for the baby Um, and the narrator Vale is really struggling with the idea of saying goodbye to her nana but um throughout the story she sort of comes to terms with the fact that it means that her sister's baby will be able to be born and what that means for the future for them. It's quite a sad, uh, very bleak uh, future vision but it's also this community live in this way that they've tried to create a real balance and harmony with nature so they're sort of living this very simple life um, on the land and yeah they have have this law where they respect the balance by keeping the human population to a really strict limit. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, This story is called The Gift. The tree we had picked out for Nanny was a Saint Cecilia, her favourite. The delicate green curls of the sapling's leaves were already starting to open. Spring was well on its way to becoming summer. But I knew that come next winter the branches would be dusted with blossom, like those old stories of snow. Today the tree sat waiting in its burlap sack by the dark gape of the hole Pa had dug for Nanny. The pile of earth on the grass beside the hole was rich with the recent rains, alive with worms and grubs. It looked so wet and heavy piled there, and I felt a sudden surge of sick in my gut that we would soon be pushing it in over Nanny that she would be gone and this pile of dirt and an apple tree would be all that remained. I moved nearer to where she stood regarding the work her son had done. I think you need another half foot there, Emmett. Pa looked like he wanted to argue. The sun was hot and I could see the flush of pink on his neck, but he just clambered back down with his shovel. I took Nanny's hand and she gave mine a little squeeze. Lana and Ma were standing away in the shade. Lana with her hands resting on her tummy, which had caused all this mess. I flicked up my middle finger at her when Ma wasn't looking, but she just ignored me and went on stroking her bump. Before Pa dug the hole, I had wondered who the Green family were going to offer up for gifting. I'd hoped it would be Bertha Green, because she was always picking on me. But Ma had smacked me when she heard me telling Adeline that and said that I shouldn't wish the gift on anyone. I'd hidden behind the closed door of the kitchen after bedtime, listening to my parents murmuring, 
the herb smoke smell of my mother's tinctures heavy in the warm air. The lamplight flickering under the door cast strange shadows on the wall behind me, my old fear of the dark lurking in the corners. I shut my eyes and concentrated on their conversation. I heard Lewis Green went to the council to make a case for them not having to offer a gift for this child, as they've no elders left since Callie had her baby. Well, that's the choice they made to have more little ones than they shoulda. Who are we to judge, Ma said. You know there's no way your mother will let them take a youngin. Peeping through a crack in the door, I saw my father nod his head sadly. I know. Ma's already confirmed her giving. When I heard this, I rushed away from the door and out into the moonlight moving over the grass like water, wanting to scream. Don't be too hard on Lana Vale. These things happen. Nanny's face was creased in concentration, the laugh lines around her grey eyes all folding into each other, her fingers pulling the tiny stitches on the little booties tight. I watched her, baffled. I'd never be able to stitch a sock for the person who was taking my place. I made a huh sound. I'd heard all about how these things happened from Adeline, and the idea of my sister doing that with Hadley Green was inexplicable to me. She's young and in love, and they want to make a family. You're our family, I spat, and I always will be, but nothing lasts forever, especially life. But it's too soon. Ah, pish, your nanny had a good old run. I've done a lot of living, and I'm ready now. She smiled gently at me. There's going to come a time when you'll understand it, Bale, when you'll love someone so much that you'll be prepared to give anything for them. But how will I live without you? I couldn't keep the wail from my voice. You'll be very sad, that's true. But life keeps on happening, even after what seems to be the end. Nanny's gifting was set for a second Sunday, fallow day, so that the whole village could come and say goodbye. But since no one else really cared, it would probably end up just being us. I wanted it to be all grand and solemn, a big fuss, but Samson next door said, She's old, your nanny. Ain't nothing to get all upset about. I knew he was speaking true, but I still wanted to put Lana in that hole instead. This was all her fault. Lana had been born with a look that just said trouble. She was willowy and freckled in a way that made her look otherworldly. All the young folk in the village worshipped her. Far too pretty for all our good was what my pa said when he found out about this. But Ma was proud. I knew because she got her ceremony dress from the box and started fussing over Lana to see where it needed altering. I never thought Lana would have taken a shine to Hadley Green, with his dark curls and his crooked teeth, but she was almost mooning with happiness, which just made me all the madder. Through the windows of the propagating hut, I looked out over the orchards and across the fields, the crop of soybeans waving waist-high in the breeze. In the distance, I could see Adeline herding the goats in through the even gate. I knew that soon she and Caleb would be hoofing it down to the river to where the rope swing hung out over the deep brown pool. Itching to join them, I blew air over my lips in a discontented huff. Nanny hawked me over her half-moon glasses. Concentrate now, Vale. You need to learn this right. I sighed again and took up my brush. The cloth flowers on the branch in front of us were just for practice, sewn by Sayo, whose fingers were almost as nimble as Nanny's. The delicate fabric blooms did look almost real. 
Even though pollinating was boring, I did like the names of the apples. Fireside, Foxwhelp, Empire, Raynette, St. Cecilia. Nanny dipped her brush into the flower we were using as pretend pollen and moved her hands over the blossoms. Fingers soft as eyelashes. The gentlest touch of the fine bristles against the stamen. I watched her small, elegant movements, so subtle and tender. I wondered if my hands could ever be so graceful. I tried, dusting my brush into the petals. Softer veil, hold your breath. The pollinator's touch must be light as a bee. I'd never seen a bee, but I tried to imagine myself as a tiny, weightless creature using my hair-fine limbs. What we do is a kind of lovemaking. Like the way a baby grows inside your sister, will one day grow inside you. We make the flower grow into an apple. Her voice changed from dreaminess to her schoolteacher briskness. We talked about cross-pollination in your lessons. I tried to remember these lessons, but my mind was sluggish in the heat, and I could only think of slipping into the brown water of the river. Cross-pollination, biodiversity, how we ensure that life continues to be varied and diverse. The law making it so there is always a diverse genetic pool. I won't be here for next season, so you need to practice. They'll be relying on you. It made me so mad to see how excited Ma and Lana were about the baby and the upcoming ceremony. Ma had set me to weaving garlands from wild clematis and sedgegrass while Lana fixed the votives for her ceremony feast. The afternoon was hot and I was bored. Lana waddled over to inspect the arrangements. These aren't tight enough. Maybe if you stopped sulking and did it right, I'll piss off Lana. You shouldn't judge me, Vale. Why not? This is all your fault. Lana glanced sideways at me with a look in her eye, half mean, half sorry, and made as if to say something. What? I snapped at her. She hesitated and then said in a quiet voice that cut me, Ma and Pa made a mistake with you. It wasn't Poppy's time, but he decided that he would give up his place for you. There was a thick silence after she spoke. I could tell it was the truth. Lana had always been a terrible liar, and she didn't have it in her to make up something so mean. I felt all queasy inside, a hot wobble that rippled through my guts. I'd never thought about who had been given for me to be born. Hi, my name's Jackie and I'm from the Children's and Youth Services team at Greater Dandenong Libraries and this is my book review. The book is called Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. We are now living in the digital age. We have access to more information than we can ever make use of and our lives have apparently been made easier with the use of this relatively new technology. But it has come at a cost. In Stolen Focus, Johan Hari explores the depth of our loss that has come via the use of technology. He talks about our addiction to our screens. Each week we get the report, our minutes and hours lost to the phone, our failing, our weakness. But it's not all our fault. Stolen Focus explains what is happening while we feel this pull towards our phones and away from our loved ones and our hobbies. 
It goes over the history and development of the technology and the downfall of our attention spans. Our delusion in thinking how we can multitask, but all it does is that we do a lot of things poorly. He explores why we are walking faster and reading less. Hari explains that even back since the advent of electricity and the humble light bulb, we've been shortchanging our sleep and thus overall health ever since. The rise in technology that can track and manipulate us is the major contributing factor as to why we are addicted to our phones, also known as surveillance capitalism. Tech companies know how to manipulate us into staying on our phone for as long as possible for their profit. There are some remarkable interviews with current and former staff from Silicon Valley. Hari also talks about the lifestyle factors that have set us up for lost focus. Our busy schedules, diet, pollution and medication all play a significant role in our inability to pay attention and are contributing to the health of our children and their attention spans. Stolen Focus is an eye-opening read and concludes with hope for a movement Hari has coined Attention Rebellion. It requires deep change from a political level, but Hari hopes that there can be a shift in the way we live. He reminds us, we are the free citizens of democracies and we own our own mind and our own society and together we are going to take them back. Hari also gives some practical advice on how to curb your own tech usage. Johan Hari is a journalist and best-selling author. His TED talk on depression and addiction has over 10 million views. Stolen Focus is now available to loan and is on Libby at Greater Dandenong Libraries. My name is Helen and I'm a library service officer at Greater Dandenong Libraries, reviewing the book Untamed by Glennon Doyle, published in 2020. For those unfamiliar with her, Doyle is an American author and activist with a very popular podcast called We Can Do Hard Things, and also the creator of online community Mummistry and the founder and president of all women-led nonprofit organization called Together Rising, which supports women, families and children's in crisis. Her book Untamed is an intimate memoir of her struggles with addiction and in eating disorder that started at a young age. In her book, she talks about feeling caged by internalized misogyny, religious doctrine, homophobia, and eventually the end of what came to be a performative marriage after 14 years. The subject matters can be heavy, especially if you haven't been confronted by these subjects before. But I found it easy to read as Glennon shares herself openly and honestly and doesn't shy away from painful truths and vulnerability, which helps the reader connect to her words. She encourages ongoing self-reflection to open up internal and emotional doors, the importance of setting boundaries and learning how to trust yourself. Though a memoir, I would call it also a self-help book with important and helpful things to say about love, loss, identity, parenting and the importance of living your truth even if it makes other people unhappy. There was a great quote in which she states, what is better uncomfortable truth or comfortable lies? Every truth is a kindness even if it makes others uncomfortable and every untruth is an unkindness even when it makes others comfortable. Glennon is sometimes uncomfortably unapologetic in challenging society's expectations of women 
And I found myself thinking about choices I make in my own life that are based on external expectations, fear, conformity. I think this book is for anyone looking for guidance to live a more authentic life, to ground themselves and start paying attention and to live the things that make us truly happy. If you're interested, you can borrow this book and others she has written from our collection in physical format. Untamed is also available to download through BorrowBox in both ebook and audiobook. Hi, my name is April, and in August, parents and guardians everywhere will be frantically putting together Book Week costumes. So, in this segment, I'm going to provide some simple, low cost costume ideas which hopefully will inspire children, parents and guardians, making last-minute costumes easier without breaking the bank. Firstly, here are some crafty suggestions for people who like the creative side of Book Week. As a note, the $2 shop or reject shop are great for low-cost craft supplies. My first costume suggestion is the Gruffalo a classic kids picture book by Julia Donaldson. There are many free templates online for Gruffalo masks. Just type free Gruffalo mask template in Google. Once you have found a template that you like, print this out, then get creative. You can color the mask in or paint it brown, paste the mask onto some cardboard, cut it out, then use sticky tape to add a pencil or paddle pop stick on the back and hold the mask up. All that is needed now are some brown clothes and the costume is complete. My next suggestion is from the picture book Paper Bag Princess by Robert Munch. This princess costume is low cost and creative. To create this costume, you will need a large brown paper bag or alternatively, brown craft paper, which you can buy quite cheap at the reject shop. You will also need some yellow paper, a headband, duct tape or masking tape, scissors and craft glue. Begin by cutting out head and armholes in your paper bag to make a dress. Then add the tape around the holes and at the bottom to add strength and prevent tears in the costume. Or alternatively, Wrap the brown craft paper around your child to make a dress, using the tape to secure the outfit. Once this is finished, it's time to create the crown using the yellow paper. Firstly, draw a crown design template on the paper, then cut this out. Use tape or craft glue to stick the crown together. After the crown is complete, stick the crown on a headband with sticky tape or craft glue. Place the headband on your child's head, match with some brown clothing underneath and the costume is complete. Now I have some suggestions for low cost costumes that do not require any craft skills at all. As a note, op shops are great for low cost clothing that are needed for costumes or just use what you have at home. Look around to see what you have, then find a book and character that suits. My first suggestion is quite easy. Mr. Bump from the Mr. Men books 
by Roger Hargreaves. All you need for this costume is blue clothing and a large white bandage. Or alternatively, you can use toilet paper. Once your child is dressed in their blue clothing, wrap the bandage or toilet paper around your child. You can secure the bandage or toilet paper with tape if needed. And that is it. The costume is done. Google an image of Mr. Bump for inspiration if needed. Another suggestion from library staff member Nat is to dress up as the character Slappy from the Goosebumps series. This character has a fun, scary costume. Google images of Slappy for inspiration. You will need a black suit, white t-shirt or white shirt and a red bow tie. Next, use black eyeliner to draw the resemblance of a puppet mouth on your child. Gel hair back to look like Slappy and now the costume is complete. My final costume idea recommended by Rowena comes from the author Andrea Rowe, who wrote the picture book Jetty Jumping, which has been shortlisted for the book of the year Early Childhood. Andrea has recommended an easy book week costume using her book as inspiration. All you need is a beach towel, your bathers, a rash vest if you have one, Swipe a little zinc across your child's nose and the costume is complete. This is a simple but fun book week costume. And as a note, Andrea Rowe will be visiting Dandenong Library during book week. So come show off your costume in the library. Check out our website for further details. I hope this segment has given you a few costume ideas for book week. Enjoy, have fun and get creative. And don't forget to check out the library for book week activities and new books to explore. Thanks for listening to the Open Book Podcast. You can check out the show notes for more information on all the items we mentioned in the podcast. And you can place holds on them via the Libraries Victoria app or at our website greaterdaninong.vic.gov dot au forward slash libraries.